Hey there, everybody. You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. This is week three of Nintendo Month. I'm excited. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. And we're so lucky again today to be joined by our third brother, Marty Brueggemann. Marty, thanks so much for being here with us today. Hi, guys. I almost cannot contain my excitement. I'm so excited for <laughs> Almost. <laughs> you, you can, Likewise, but you almost dude. can't. It's just bar- hanging by a thread, just barely. <laughs> well, guys, this is such a fitting episode episode to have Marty on because today this is going to be so epic we are focusing on Super Mario Brothers 1 2 and 3 for the NES little obscure games that some of you probably haven't heard before right wait and how much is this episode going to cost (laughs) this episode is going to be $24.99 three easy payments yeah, this is going to be an absolutely epic episode. I mean, it's crazy that we've never really spotlighted on any of these three original Mario games. And we had so many ideas this month of like, oh, what if we did uh, just on Mario 3? Or what if we did maybe like an entire Mario episode? And we realized that this is the perfect amount because we can really get in depth and play most of the music on these three soundtracks. But it's not as crazy as like trying to do the entire series in, in one episode. So, well, and what excites me about this is that we've been doing this podcast for about five years now, and um, we're just now like doing an and episode and half, yeah. on some of the most classic, uh, most well-acclaimed, beloved video game soundtracks of all time. I mean, these yeah. three NES Mario games are amongst the most popular video games and some of the best-selling games um of all time so for this sure is just it's really exciting to get to still do you know huge flagship stuff like this five plus years into doing this podcast yeah you know if nasa had to only place three video game scores into some kind of like space pod capsule that they sent out to alien life mm-hmm. uh these would be the only three games where i think you could select and it would not be a disappointment like it does feel incredibly representative of what is remarkable about video game music and i don't know if it's just just uh, my impression, but I sort of feel like these three games aren't typically grouped together or, no. or seen as a trilogy. Well, and I didn't even think about them. I didn't realize until putting this playlist together and listening to it back to back, I don't really group them together in my mind because they're actually very different, all three right, of them right. from each other. So, so guys, we have so much music to get to today. We really got to start getting into this. So what you heard playing in, that was the title screen to Mario 2, which we thought was a fitting way to play in for this episode, obviously using melodic material from the first game. So, all right, let's talk about... Wait a minute, Carl. What 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 melodic material was it using? Let, let's break that down for a second. It, it was using the the melodic material from the underwater theme, which we're gonna hear uh, ah. the proper version of that from Mario One. Yes. So okay, Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers came out in 1985, and that was most people's first game uh, in that new generation on the NES. Why don't we do this? Why don't we play the first track we're gonna play from this game, which is you guys guessed it, the Overworld theme, and then once we play that, we can talk not just about that theme but maybe a little bit more of context of that game and what that meant to the video game industry so get ready for probably the most famous piece of video game music ever composed this is the overworld from super mario brothers composed by koji kondo
You guys are listening to The Overworld, right? From Super Mario Brothers, composed by Koji Kondo. Every time we play this, I think we've played it a few times here, you know, over the course of doing this podcast. And every time we play As it... As one does it, <laughs> when someone has a video game music yeah, podcast. Yeah, it, it just makes me laugh because it's so classic and iconic to the point where it almost doesn't even feel like it's music. Like, it almost feels like this entire piece is like a two-minute sound effect or something. Well, I think it's one of those great examples of a piece of art... Um, that's as good as it is famous, and it's incredibly famous. Um, it has some interesting kind of claims to fame. Uh, it was the first mm-hmm. video game piece of music that ended up getting into the Billboard charts uh, once ringtones started, uh, <laughs> cell phone ringtones right. started getting their own Billboard chart. Uh, the Mario Brothers theme was number one, so it was pretty exciting um, seeing Koji Kondo's name and. Uh, in that sort of context. Uh, I mean, there are just so many great stories. There's the story uh, when Shigeru Miyamoto and Koji Kondo went to a Paul McCartney concert, and backstage, Miyamoto introduced Koji Kondo to Paul McCartney, and he said, oh, this is the guy that writes the Mario music, and Paul McCartney started singing this. Yeah. Uh, And I think for Koji Kondo, uh, that must have been... uh, you know, one of those sort of unforgettable moments uh, to just kind of indicate how this piece of music has saturated into our world culture. Well, I mean, it's it's such a durable theme. It's 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 really so special, and Koji Kondo has done that time and time again. I mean, we've talked about his ability to write these great melodies, but what he's um, also able to prove is that he writes not only great melodies, but these themes that become so iconic, a part of culture, and almost carry this power to them that's sometimes too great for their own series like I I would say both in the case of this Super Mario Brothers theme and the Legend of Zelda that in the later iterations of those games they're very choosy about how they'll use the theme because it's so iconic it almost has the ability of breaking out of the game experience yeah you know the, the, the additional thing that I think is so great about playing a track like this and it reminds me of when we were talking about Shin Onigashima is that Koji Kondo also writes these singular pieces of music that are unlike anything else in the world like not just that he's done but yeah. there's no other piece so of music like this uh, when you talk about all of its attributes, the structure yeah. of it how it's these like you know the A section is just these moving third harmonies so there's not really a Very melody spaced, yeah. yeah and and just I don't know everything about this piece is so singular so unique he never wrote anything quite like this after this and it was this experiment that I don't think he or anyone else would would realize how successful it would be. Well and speaking of the different sections of this piece of music uh, that it's maybe uh, a good way to sort of dive into Mario music in general. Uh, In this piece of music we have the opening fanfare uh, and Mm -hmm. yet I mean, I think we all know every section of this piece of music is almost world famous to video game fans. So that right. opening fanfare, which plays a role in, I would say, every Mario game ever, probably. Yeah. Did it, did, did it, did. And then we have the primary theme, which in this very game also ends up functioning in the game over context. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really is Mario's sort of primary theme. Yeah. And it but, also but, survives but, throughout but, the series. Da, 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 da. And right. then we have that... Uh, the sort of secondary theme, which could be its own da, da, A theme da, 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 in another da, 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 game. And uh, you guys have talked about it before, harmonized in a really surprising way. And then we have that final section, um, which 
uh, really, I think is probably Koji Kondo at his most kind of joyous in this first. In this oh my first gosh! Game. And it's and it's just something that you could actually imagine like a Latin jazz band playing that final section, the bass line, doon, 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 the introduction doon, yeah. of a lot of those triplet rhythms, and it's it's super good. <laughs> well, the other thing that uh, the last thing I want to say about this piece is um, everything that we come to know and love about Mario music. Th- through the entire series can really be traced back to this one theme the harmonic mm. attributes the rhythmic attributes this just general emotional character i i really feel that pretty much every great mario theme there are either hints to it or there's something in this overworld that you almost to me it's like the origin um we talk about that b section that kind of flat six to five Mm -hmm. going back and forth between those two chords you know that's the kind of thing it that type of thing even exists in like inside the castle walls and right you you know some of his um harmonic moves that carry throughout the entire series and just melodically just such a flagship it's it's so fun to get to play this and talk about it on the show well i think um there's really no question that just behind the mario overworld theme i think the number two most iconic theme in the series is definitely what we're going to play next and it's also from super mario brothers it's the underground theme this is the second stage in the game and wow is this contrasting the musical style that we heard in the overworld let's take a listen to underground You guys are listening to Underground. This is from Super Mario Brothers for the NES. It still makes me laugh. I'm still pinching myself that we're actually playing this and talking about it on a podcast it episode. Is, it's such a treat. It's, yeah, ah, it's Christmas so, Marty, let's start with you. This is a very unique piece of music. What are some elements about this piece of music that are not typical for, you know, 80s, 90s uh, game music? I think the first thing would be just the amount of space. Uh, There's an incredible amount of space in this piece um, in terms of just pure silence between (laughs) uh, between sort of musical sound yeah um but also because uh, it's not uh decorated with any sort of harmony um there's no percussion of any sort um so there's really space in the arrangement if we're looking at it um sort of top down and then as we sort of look at it uh left to right or in time there's an incredible amount of space now we do have some space in the in the Mario Brothers main theme. Uh, and so you could almost argue it's like, oh, that's maybe kind of a character of this game that's part of the, the quirkiness. But when Mario falls down that pipe and you're in this very uh, dark, uh, especially contrasted to the blue sky, kind of a scary first level, cave, yeah. the blackness of this underground, and then just the, the amount of space between this very surprising melody, uh, it, it's so effective. And it's going to be hard for me not to kind of go down memory lane through tonight's episode but i just have so many memories as a kid growing up and uh you know once you were first able to sort of play this on the piano just (laughs) the impact that that would have with your friends going through uh elementary school or middle middle school um 
just that first opening statement is yeah. just so powerful, so memorable. Well, Will, is there anything that jumps out about this piece to you, maybe talking about the actual notes and how they how they are lined up with well, each other? What's so interesting about it, you talked to Carl about how contrasting it is and what Koji Kondo really did, and I think unbeknownst to him, but just because he does it better than anyone else, he sort of... Um, established the framework with which video game music is allowed to exist in what that really is to me is that in games we can have every genre we can go to the farthest musical ends of the spectrum and they can all sit together in this one place and with super mario brothers this is like the second piece of music that we've ever heard we heard Mm -hmm. that bubbly latin exciting overworld theme and now we have this piece with changing meters it goes from four four to three it's kind of atonal it's atonal It, it, it it's unaccompanied by any harmony there's no drums and if we examine that melody the the iconic do that do that do that it's a series of octaves. So the note is played and then it's rearticulated up the octave and then uh, so it's it sounds like this fast flurry of notes, but it's really only three discrete pitches. They're played right. in different octaves. Um, and so when you're listening to that, it, it, it does feel very ambiguous and there's sort of a threatening quality to it. I think also the space creates that. Um, but to me, the most interesting part of this theme is at the end. It's very chromatic, which means that it's using... Um, you know, it doesn't really exist perfectly within uh, a major or minor scale. It's using kind of what we consider the the notes between the notes. Well, when you actually um, dissect how chromatic and how atonal that little riff is, there's not another example in music where you have something that kind of experimental that everyone in the street is going to be able to hum. Right. You just ask a random person, <laughs> can you sing this? They'll be able to sing that, it. That's such a good point. Because um, I think if you actually gave that moment as like a transcription exercise assignment, it's actually, I would imagine, quite difficult probably yes. for most people to pick out the notes on the piano. But I think you're right, Carl. They, they've they've become indelible uh, in our minds. It's I think we could we could all start singing along. And the other thing that I love about it is it's not, um, I guess it's not so much scalular chromaticism. There's a little bit of that. Um, yeah, da, 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 um, but just that whole leap of notes mm-hmm. is so unique and interesting. It feels so finely crafted. Dun, 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 dun. Right. I mean, it almost sounds a little bit like a 12-tone row or, or like the right. kind of thing that you would get with like really experimental music in the 20th century well let's move Um, let's move on as far as like having diversity every single main stage theme you hear in this game couldn't be more different from what you just heard and that's going to continue here we're going to play the underwater theme like we said what you guys heard up top was kind of like the first remix you heard in the in the mario series really because the next game mario 2 comes out and he's remixing a theme that people know this is the underwater theme composed by koji kondo
You guys are listening to Underwater from Super Mario Brothers. As if we had to tell you, right? Uh, okay, so let's talk about, first of all, before we get into maybe dissecting this music a little bit, why why is this an effective choice for an, for an underwater level? You know, going for this kind of music. Well, it... It happens to be uh, chronologically the first piece of music that Koji Kondo scored for That's this right. game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because to him it was the most intuitive musical response after playing the game. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of it being a waltz in 3-4 in a fast waltz, which means we sort of feel it in one. Each measure kind of equating right. the bounce. When you play the, the controls for Mario Swimming, we're also used to it now, but if you can bring your mind back to the first time you experienced it it's it's so unique and really clever that the way he traverses through the water is you press a and he just kind of jumps up a little bit there's this kind of buoyancy to his movement that i think koji really so brilliantly equated with that feeling of the waltz and then here it's done in this wonderful kind of classical romantic sounding waltz a la like johann strauss i think another element of of this track that I think is so on the nose, not just talking about the fact that he went for a waltz or the melody or the harmony, is I think the tempo. He chose the perfect tempo for the pace right. of this level, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it, I think a lot of us would play the the game to the music. You know, we'd almost yeah. bounce Mario in time. Absolutely. And yeah, I don't think that's any sort of accident. I mean, Koji Kondo has talked about, uh, like you were alluding to, well, you know, playing the level and. Uh, Really, this was his musical response to it, not just in terms of the style of music and the incredible melody that he composed for this, but mm-hmm. yeah, really the tempo is completely at home with the game's engine, if you will, for how the sort of uh, swimming, the swimming, you know, functions in this in this first game. Well, there, there's also, you know, musically, I know, Marty, you've mentioned this before, uh, you know, in previous years, but one of my favorite things about this piece is how the intro actually serves as like an outro. At the end of the piece, it feels like it's... It's sort of a like turnaround. A, yeah. Yeah, once you get to that... Uh, once once you get to sort of the end of the form, it turns around in this really lovely way into the into the A section. And what it does to me is it masks the loop point where I kind of forget that it's even looping. You know, it just feels endless and it just it flows so well. well. The, the this piece, I, I feel like um, it's objectively perfect. Like every single note, every single Completely, choice yeah. when you examine it, just is so brilliant to me. I, I, this is the type of piece that I feel like I could s- obsess over for years and years, decades, centuries, and never grow tired of it. But that intro, yeah, that it's hard not to obsess over that because what's, what's so beautiful and simple about it, um, almost like it's a piece by Chopin or something, just like the simplicity of how it all starts with that one note. It starts on a right. D, and as the melody moves up, the harmony, or I guess the counter melody moves down Contrary and they motion. move in kind of this equal beautiful chromatic because one line is going yeah da 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 and one is lying yeah da 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 in the way that they all emanate from that singular point and spread out it's so beautiful to me to think that this is the first piece koji wrote for this game that would become so iconic because it almost feels like the beginning he's introducing you almost like it's a band to the three channels well also you know the nods the nods that he has here to famous waltzes in in the classical era it's almost like he's taking that 
and he's he's really trying to almost compose a new timeless waltz that lives on that's going to live on as much as any of those other waltzes have lived on mission mission accomplished i mean like what's well, that what's as, that waltz from batman when the joker is dancing uh, in the oh, museum beautiful dreamer yeah that it's like it's almost like it's pretty close it's almost i would say it's just as beautiful as that yeah i mean i've got if experiencing this piece of music for the first time is my my earliest and most vivid memory of uh, being aware of video game music. Yeah, for uh, sure. I think the entire experience of playing Super Mario Brothers for the first time was so incredibly exciting to me when I was a when I was a little kid. Uh, and I think in the first two levels, I think I was overwhelmed by the whole experience. It felt like a million dollar blockbuster movie, uh, just in terms of the visuals, the gameplay, and absolutely the music. But when it got to this level, uh, and I was a pretty young child, and so I didn't have uh, you know, an extensive knowledge of classical music. So my mind was just reeling because I had the feeling like this is an original piece of music made for this game, mm-hmm. but it was so good uh, that I really wondered, it's like, okay, could this actually have been composed for a game? And what does it mean that something could be that beautiful um, for right. for something like this? And honestly, that's it's, it's one of my earliest memories when it comes to composing music. And that's what the three of us have spent our lives. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, guys, we got to move on. We're going to move on to something, again, very different. And this is, I think, about like a three-second piece of music. This is Starman, also known as the Invincibility theme from Super Mario Brothers. feel empowered when you listen to this this is the Starman theme composed by koji kondo and i think there, there's an element of koji's writing that i think i think it's a uh, kind of maybe underappreciated and doesn't get uh, addressed as much is this kind of writing his jingles his right. short loops i think that is maybe when he's at his best you know a track like this lives on in not just mario games but spin-off games mario kart every single mario kart game has this mario sports games it's just the perfect choice for an invincibility theme because you just feel like in this moment like oh i can do anything like everything's going to be okay right well now. and we've talked about how he um is using from different genres throughout the soundtrack uh, in in such a free way uh but the other thing that's so amazing to me about mario is nothing feels it, it's not really evoking cliches in a sense that underground theme there's nothing kind of campy about it. Mm-hmm, it's right. totally serious. And, you know, the underwater, it's totally serious. Everything about it, he's he's so earnest in his expression. And what I love about the Starman theme, you could break down some of the rhythms as also being tied into the Latin elements, which I think are maybe meant to characterize Mario himself. Mm-hmm. But if out of this whole soundtrack, this is the most, you said empowering, but there's something about this that feels like, badass as if it's like modern like sure. it's the most rhythmically groovy it's and definitely the most modern thing. track yeah. it's almost breaking the fourth wall it's like this is the moment where like mario becomes a badass and all the plucky cute sort of elements of the game 
um, step aside where you have this really exciting rhythmic syncopation and this cool chord sequence where it's these two um, major seventh chords uh, moving up in and down and sort or of minor like, seventh and a major seventh. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. it's the right. bottom line is it's empowering. It's empowering the player. I, I can't think of any other sort of invincibility theme that makes you feel as good as this makes you feel. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's I think that's very well, very well said. Oh, the last thing I wanted to to uh, call out is that this piece uh, you could say is in the key of C major, and really almost the entire score of this first game is in C major, yeah. except for the sort of Bowser theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll come to see today uh, throughout all of the Mario games on the NES that C major is sort of Mario's That's home. Mario's home, yeah. Well, let's move on to the last track we're going to play from Super Mario Brothers. This is Castle. <laughs> What's interesting about this is that I think particularly Will, but I think Marty as well, you guys have a very interesting relationship to this piece. Will has actually used this as a model for his own original piece of music for one of his 8-bit albums. Will, do you want to talk what was so um, inspiring about this piece, why you wanted to kind of do something in the vein of this? Well, it's again that that sense of feeling uh, quasi-classical, I think, in a way. Um, yeah, and those just flurrying fast rhythms are so appealing because I just remember how you know how it makes you feel as a kid is just like everything you're doing pressures on. It's so eminent. It's like it's this level that's not really long, but you, you're so compelled to run through it. Yeah, and I think the music is crucial to that because part of the excitement of the gameplay is navigating all of these obstacles. Um, at a great pace and I think if you take it really slow it, it's not all that difficult but sure. the music gives you this sense of urgency like oh I have to run now I have to go 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 um, and I, I think that's again brilliant use of his limitations in terms of just those uh, three voices having a really um, fast passage like that uh, gives you a real sense of fullness without needing multiple voices and what's cool about this piece um in contrast to everything we've heard is the melody is um what's occurring in the bass so it's sure. really one of the the only examples like that i mean i guess the underground theme it's all kind of in octave uh unison um, but that's an example when your imagination kicks in and you connect the dots in your head what i hear is right. like octaves on the low piano maybe doubled with like a low string bass or like yeah, a trombone like cello, or something yeah, yeah. cello and trombones you and just hear that if, if any of you have heard like kind of german romantic music like if you've heard the work of like franz schubert or any of his uh, songs um anything where he tends to use the piano in a really exciting and bold way where oftentimes it, it almost sounds like this will be there a really kind of fast flurry of like tremolos on the piano and the the mm-hmm. melody if it exists this will be playing kind of in octaves in the bass. So I, I imagine music like that was sort of um, Koji's inspiration for a type of piece so. like this. But what's so great when you look at the soundtrack is the diversity for for such a for a game with really 
not much music in it in terms of sheer length. Um, he really does an incredible job of diversifying the texture. Every level feels different tonally in terms of genre and style, but even what we were talking about of having the melody in the bass, having mm-hmm. the melody in octave unison unaccompanied, having it in a piece in 3-4, having it in a swung, you, you know, it's like he every single thing in this soundtrack is completely distinct from uh, anything else, and I think that's one of the greatest achievements of this original Super Mario Brothers. So so true. Uh, also, it should be said that this is, might be Koji Kondo's greatest Mobius strip of a composition. The way it turns on itself um, mm-hmm. is so surprising. Uh, I mean, all these years later, however you many hundreds of times it. that I've heard this piece of music, when it gets to the end of the phrase, yep. you really don't realize uh, until what feels like the phrase has completed that you actually have begun the phrase all it's over like, again. It's like, it's like a prelude to the endless staircase, really. It's, it's just so yeah. brilliant. Well, his approach changed quite drastically, in my opinion, in Super Mario Brothers 2. Because it wasn't a little Super bit of Mario Brothers 2. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk more about that after we play this. But uh, what you guys heard up top was the title screen. So immediately after that, this is the next piece of music you would hear in the game. Such a wonderful little short jingle here. This is Character Select from Super Mario Brothers 2. You guys are listening to the character select from Super Mario Brothers 2 and oh my gosh Koji Kondo is having so much fun and the players are all having so much fun. This is so, this is so delightful. And there I will say that the energy level comes up in Mario Brothers 2. The energy is so high yeah, and it feels like it's more composed for like a band, doesn't it? Like couldn't you should, like hear like some sort of like jazz like Dixieland band or Latin ensemble playing this? Oh completely. Yeah, I lively. think the percussion feels more overt even though in the overworld in the first game the percussion is actually very exciting um, yes but i think there's so much to kind of uh, soak up our attention there but yeah the percussion is very uh up front and overt and then we have this great instrument switching that we have yeah uh that we have here when that sort of more slowly speaking legato uh square sound and then he's that just great taking sort um, of banjo like so oh this piece is so well, good and i think the this is the game that really what's so interesting about it being doki doki panic originally you know, a, a Famicom Disk System game in Japan that was repackaged to become Super Mario Brothers. The fact that it wasn't a Mario game originally, mm-hmm. musically, I think it's more responsible for the ongoing identity of the series than the first game. You know, I totally I mean, a agree. piece like yeah. this to me seems more like a starting point for a lot of other composers so that have true. tried to write in the series. Mario 2 feels more like. Um, the emphasis of the style, the 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 kind of fast pace, upbeat, swung type rhythms. I mean, uh, that this feels kind of like ragtime or some kind of early jazz piano, you know, stride piano kind of a thing. Well, what I'll say um, about that is, I'm not saying that this isn't as good as Mario One. I actually might prefer Mario Two to Mario One, the soundtrack, but it is easier to emulate this genre of music. I think that's true. How can I you think emulate right Mario in the 1. center of a genre? Yeah, you know, where a lot of the music in the first Mario Brothers game uh, 
I think is so memorable and exciting and interesting because it doesn't fall squarely in yep. the center of a genre. For sure. Another thing I want to point out that happens in, in this piece, um, in, in the B section, um, it, it's just a, a device that, that Koji Kondo does so well where he'll take a melodic fragment um, and he takes it through a sequence, yeah. but now it has a completely different character. Marty mentioned the instruments we switching. Now it's really lyrical. And then he he does sort of what becomes, and this is what I think a lot of composers writing in the Mario series try to almost steal or emulate from Koji Kondo, is his yada-da-da, that sure. little chromatic <laughs> right. run that's harmonized in thirds. That becomes like the template for so many future pieces in the series. I don't know about you guys, but I hear like Sonic influence in that section. Kind of reminds me of like Sonic music, like a special stage or like a bonus stage thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I could series. easily see this as being an influence from Masato Nakamura. Well, guys, let's Sonic. move on to. I would say this might be one of my. Oh, it might be my favorite overworld theme <laughs> in the Mario series. It's really tough to beat this. Uh, it's just, that really is saying something. It's just one of the all time great pieces of video game music. Let's take a listen to the overworld from Mario Brothers 2. are listening to the overworld from super mario brothers 2 and every time i listen to this it just never ceases to amaze me how much is here in this original nes rendition i think growing up i heard a lot more of the all-star version i think sure. i played the all-stars version more and obviously i i've heard other remixes i've made a jazz a live jazz remix of this and things like that when i go back to this original everything's there all the material is there there's so much character this is such an airtight piece of music. So much is accomplished in such a small amount of time. It, I, we're not, just a little disclaimer, we're not doing a track of the week this week because it just seems like an insult to try to pick so which one is the best. Choose your own, dear listener. Choose your own adventure. Uh, you cannot top. I, I just, for me, I can't top this piece of music. What I think is so great uh, listening to uh, all this music again is you really uh, get get an appreciation for what a what a wonderful producer Koji Kondo is. Uh, I mean, we'll talk forever about how inspirational and phenomenal and untouchable he is as a composer. But really, already we're seeing in this second score, if we're going to call it the second Mario score, um, a very bold uh, use of the sound chip on the NES. Uh, we talked a little bit about instrument switching. A lot uh, more diverse. Fine pitch adjustment and also... Um, in that, I guess, to me, the A section after the intro, which is the bum, 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 mm -hmm. bum, 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 the melody has this sort of shortened attack, but the harmonies underneath sustain at a quiet volume afterwards. It gives you this sense of almost like... Different instruments. Not reverb, but almost as if like the music is occurring in a more... Um, ambient place but it, yeah totally bold and then also the, the the kind of fast fluttering lines that 
again give it that kind of early jazz like stride piano effect where someone yeah is, it's almost like a saloon piano i mean something. i just respect yeah. the, the choices that koji made in the second score he wasn't resting on his laurels he wasn't doing something that was similar at all to the first game but he was pushing the boundaries in other ways you know i say genre wise this feels a little bit more comfortable like familiar we've heard this kind of music before uh Dixieland But music. again, it ju- the same way that the underwater theme feels like it's comfortable in its genre, when you actually examine the harmonies and how they function under the hood, sure. there is a difference. There is his sense. Um, like if you look at the harmonies that intro, there's his sense of like planing tonalities where right. he'll move these spacious kind of triads down in parallel. It just for it's it's less prominent than like the the main Mario theme. But the same with the uh, underwater theme, where your memory of what it is seems like it would be voiced in a certain kind of classical way. But when you actually examine how it moves it's it's almost like he's he's bending the rules when he sees fit in establishing his own kind of sense of music theory that really carries throughout all these games and that's what i think is great we talk about how it's it's rooted in a genre because i think obviously the melody is so great and the rhythmic aspects of it are establishing us in a certain place but i think we also have to acknowledge there's a certain element to this that's simply mario that's simply koji kondo right well i think if uh anyone listening really wants uh for my money the deepest appreciation of any of these pieces of music that i think you could experience uh even if you don't consider yourself a musician or a piano player uh if you took it upon yourself to just pick any any piece from these first three Nintendo games and actually learn it on the piano and see what's happening with each of those three voices, uh, you know, one pitch at a time. Uh, I mean, I can guarantee you it's going to be endlessly rewarding. Uh, it's been a huge part of my compositional um, and musical development. And mm-hmm. I know that's true for Carl and Will. Uh, for sure. An understanding of Koji Kondo's mind and just uh, innovative Absolutely. NES writing. We're going to go back to that. I, I have a feeling in a future breakdown and analysis for sure. All right, guys, let's move on to a very contrasting piece of music, not just from what we just heard, but from the underground theme of the first game. This is the new underground theme from Super Mario Brothers 2. <laughs> guys are listening to underground from mario 2 and similar to the underground theme from the first game this is a very very short piece of music it's about 10 seconds is all it is but again he's masking that loop you don't really realize how short it is you're getting a lot more here to kind of help your imagination you're getting some percussion um it feels again more like written for like a l- ensemble i could see i actually have heard bands cover this before it's more coverable in my opinion than the that might be surprising yeah that sort Mario of goes along with what you were saying yeah. earlier about uh so much of the score feeling like there's a house band yeah. or something yeah. and this is the first time today that we're really hearing the sample channel on the nintendo True. Uh, yeah. being used and it's another 
another uh, another way to sort of illustrate uh, Koji as this growing producer, if if you want to put it that way. I think what I enjoy about this piece is sometimes Mario two gets to a place where I kind of forget about some of it in the in the sense of the Mario universe. Sure. And this is a piece of music that it doesn't necessarily feel that Mario-ish to me. Well, we're probably we're probably feeling the Doki Doki Panic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a little bit more in this track than, sure. than I think a lot of the rest of the score. But but see, then again, there are so many elements to this that I feel like have endured within the series. Sure. That, the, sort of some of the experimental elements of the harmony, maybe not so much, but the idea of those parallel fourths, those parallel fifths, almost power chord sounding harmony, that's all over the place. I mean, you think of like Super Mario 64, Mario World, even right. Mario Sunshine. I don't know if you guys remember, but there's this uh, uh, music that plays kind of uh, as a cutscene um, at a couple points when you see Bowser in the game or Bowser Jr. Oh, sure. at the end. And to me, that is total like Koji Kondo style harmony. I don't know if that was written by him or by um, Shinobu Tanaka, but it, it's that same kind of... I don't know, 70s, 80s rock. Prague, yeah. Prague rock sound to the harmony. And that's what I really get a lot in this track. Well, that is a good reminder. And it does remind me some of his work, like the final boss theme in Yoshi's Island is is kind of similar too to that. Well, guys, we only have a couple more tracks we're going to play from Mario 2. It should be said that Mario 1 and 2 are very small and short soundtracks compared to what he did in Mario 3. It's much more uh, vast. Let's take a listen to the, the main boss theme. You hear this a lot in this game. This is Birdo. guys listening to birdo which is the main boss theme from super mario brothers 2 and it's it's so simple it's so there's really not a lot happening you notice how he doesn't have any percussion no noise channel no no uh, sample channel at all and there's still this sense of kind of it's like a driving rhythm it feels intense i don't feel like i'm missing anything really here right but really what he's doing is he's just outlining he's kind of accentuating those bold and those kind of dissonant harmonies and that is what makes this feel uh like a good boss theme is what gives this tension right and it's actually is related to the bowser boss theme of the first game um, yep a lot more closely than than it might than it might seem there's that uh, similar kind of mobius strip sort of quality yeah where you sort of fo- your ear is kind of following the phrase and you sort of don't realize that you've uh, turned back around. And He's you're, so you're good at that, again. isn't he? Well, I think another thing, um, what's so great is this piece, I think the, the castle theme gives you a sense of urgency and like the stakes are high. I mean, it's very right. busy, but this harmonically gives you the sense of terror and fear mm-hmm. much more than almost anything I feel like Koji Kondo tends to do i mean right off the bat he really emphasizes that tritone dissonance the other thing about it and this is sort of what i wanted to say with the starman theme this is sort of a phenomenon marty you discussed years ago on a marty's corner the idea of how um his harmonies will sort of expand and contract between being sort of a a two voice idea and a one voice idea sure almost like in starman where you have two voices harmonized and it jumps to one the interesting phenomenon on about that though is 
it feels really catchy like you almost want to sing it but when you examine this melody it's the the part that seems to be memorable is which when you hear it because the top note there's a note above it that rearticulates whenever that kind of upper note occurs but no one would ever envision that as being the melody it's just kind of crazy busy thing where you know the the only way to really experience it is to actually hear both the pitches harmonize yet it feels like it has so much melodic character at the same time well guys i think it's uh we just we we gotta just keep rolling along here we have one more track for mario 2 let's take a listen to the last thing you hear in the game this is the ending composed by koji kondo You guys are listening to the ending from Super Mario Brothers 2, and what's so cool about this, finally after that first section, he moves into this very cute little kind of Baroque, kind of uh, almost like this little piano etude, which is so pretty and so pure. Yeah, honestly, uh, this could be another, uh, this could be another contender easily for track of the week if we were, if we were going to be that cruel and Mm -hmm. have to make that kind of a tough choice. For sure. Um, It's interesting because in uh, Doki Doki Panic, this final theme is featured early on and is sort of the primary theme of that game. In like the title screen. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I, I love how it functions though in the US Mario 2 it's it's like this incredible reward after completing the game well you get a bona fide ending you know melody which yeah. is a staple of the Mario series where it's almost like the best melody is saved for last I- exactly and really uh, I would argue this is one of the most beautiful uh, pure themes that uh, Koji Kondo ever wrote well and you also get those those Koji Kondo harmonic devices again um that feels so specific to the Mario series. Well, guys, let's move on to really the heavy hitter here. Uh, we have a lot of wonderful music we're going to play today from Super Mario Brothers 3. Amazing wow. soundtrack, amazing game, really a game changer in a lot of ways. Let's start off with one of the first things you hear. This is the first map theme. It is Grassland.
You guys are listening to Grassland. Again, it's that short loop Koji Kondo. He has such a gift for these short loops. I could stay on this for 10 minutes and not get sick of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think a lot of us uh, stayed on this screen a lot longer than might uh, might have been expected when we first played this game. Uh, a lot longer than was socially acceptable. At least at that at that point in time in the 80s, uh, it felt like we were waiting for Mario 3 forever. But it's funny, when you look at the calendar, Mario 2 and Mario 3 came out almost back to back. And actually, mm-hmm. in North America, most people didn't get their hands on the first Mario Brothers game till well after its, that's true. its uh, sort of published release the, date. The, the, the thing that's um, cool about Mario 3 is, I think this legitimate return to the series for Koji Kondo because he didn't really do much new composing for Lost Levels, which is like the Mario 2 they had in Japan. Um, And Doki Doki Panic was never supposed to be a Mario game. That with this game, there is a sense that he's trying to sort of change up the formula, but return to some of his musical inspirations for the first game, which you really get the sense of that Latin influence. Um, particularly in this track. And we get it also in this next track and also another contender for Track of the Week. Let's take a listen to The Overworld from Super Mario Bros. 3. so much love for this track. Um, I talked a couple weeks ago about uh, the new Super Mario Bros. theme and how easygoing and slow right, it like is. laid back it And was. that's what I love about this overworld. It's the most laid back overworld um, that Koji has written in the Mario series. It's just, everything's gonna be okay. Let's just stroll along nice and slow. And the pace of the Mario 3 levels do feel like they kind of have some of that relaxation. There's a little bit more adventure kind of exploring, poking around with the original mm-hmm. Super Mario Brothers game you know, you move from left to right and you can't go back. Literally, like the screen won't restrict, it will restrict your movement. Where with uh, a lot of the Mario 3 levels, there's this idea of moving through the level, moving down, moving up. There's there's much more kind of exploring and secret items to be found. So I think it's fitting that the theme is a little bit more leisurely because there's not that same sense of direction. Yeah, and uh, we're also hearing in this piece... uh, the use of the sample channel and true uh really for those that are uh interested in composing chiptune music mario 3 is actually seen as a critical score to study for the use of the sample channel for drums and actually the sound of the mario 3 drums it's are, a gold standard are very are very popular so i think it's another nice reminder that uh we don't just love kochi kondo for his incredible uh compositions but uh, he was really an innovative uh producer on the on the nintendo i'm really excited to move on to this next piece this is so beautiful let's take a listen to warp zone (laughs) 
So, folks, we are listening to an 8-bit version of the opening to Ocarina of Time. No. <laughs> so what we what we heard there is these, in the Mario game, we call it the Warp Whistle. And in Legend of Zelda, uh, we now call it the Ocarina. So that little, that little jingle was first featured in the game Legend of Zelda. Although sure. I don't know that that many people really ended up getting to getting to hear it there then he moves into this other and then theme. we get into we get into this incredible piece of music that is uh so dreamy and it, again you could listen to it loop again and again and, and i again. did trust me yeah. I did. <laughs> the warp zone <laughs> i think so many i'm like do i want to go to world up. three four five i'll just stay here and it's harmonically very daring uh we're we never quite settle into a tonality. We're shifting between right. these uh, these major triad sounds, uh, and it's incredibly evocative. I think very appropriate for this sort of mystical um, context here. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it does something that um, I you know I, I spent a lot of time studying the Metroid music when I was working on Child of the Chozo, and it uses kind of what becomes a formula for a lot of Metroid music, where essentially you have a chord, a major chord, and it just moves up a half step. It's just sort of chords um, oscillating between those two chords, major chord and something a half step up and then back down. Um, but yeah, there is a sense of wonder to that. We've talked a lot about how Koji Kondo is so great at writing these short looped pieces. Yeah. And you call you know, like a Mobius strip that it just goes on forever. But what's so remarkable to me is he's, yes, he's great at creating those moments, but he does it with different techniques each time you know with Mm -hmm. that castle theme when we talked about it it was sort of about the elimination of a measure about how what felt like it should have been the last note in the phrase became the first one but with this one it's more about what's happening harmonically that you have this chord progression where each harmony feels like it wants to return to the one that you've previously heard sure well, guys, right. we're going to move on to a piece called Fortress, and this kind of feels like, in some ways, to me, like the sequel to the Mario 1 Underground theme. Let's take a listen to Fortress from Mario 3. guys listening to fortress and what's cool about this i think will has mentioned this before but there's a little line in here this this really interesting like kind of 12 tone row this atonal line that somehow he's able to make it memorable that we could sing this <laughs> this piece of music yeah, it's almost taking that philosophy that uh sort of underpins the the underground theme in the in the first game and and really exploring just how, how far, far that could yeah. be taken. It's pretty amazing. Also, we're kind of getting our first glimpse of the uh, the timpani in this score. That's a good uh, point. Which we're going to see is is pretty pivotal. Well, yeah, that, that's a great point, Marty. Yeah, the timpani really is meant to characterize, I think, the villains of the game. This idea of kind of this abominable force that's really oppressive hmm. uh, that t- I think the timpani kind of has that quality to it. This music though, again, just like we've been talking before, when Kochi Kondo is scoring fear, it's legit. I mean, the harmonies here are legitimately terrifying. It doesn't sound like cartoon sure. scary. 
Um, you know, like when you think of like a, a, a villain's lair in like Banjo-Kazooie, there's this real campy tongue-in-cheek quality. And I think a lot of people assume in their mind that, oh, that's kind of like what the Mario series is. But when you actually look at it, he's really scoring every single moment um, with 100% intensity. The fact that that B section has this like legitimate atonal technique that boom 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 yeah boom 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 i mean it's like it's all these not only is it very chromatic and it's kind of like a tone row but it really feels like that because the pitches are so spaced out there's it, it just sounds so abstract and and confusing to our ears and people forget i think a lot of people forget that side of koji kondo sure uh well and, well, and it's all over the place you think of like link to the past there's actually a dungeon theme in that game mm-hmm. that has a similar sounding thing bum, 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 bum. he's not afraid to get experimental well, i think it might be the context of a game or a property like mario which uh on its face value is supposed to be seen as sunny and positive and and sort of all ages exactly but really those sort of all ages uh games or films or books that stick with us um they really i don't think uh any any sort of piece of art like that could endure or be so universal if it didn't capture the real human experience sure. and like you're seeing here it's like you're saying well it's true fear it's true terror almost like the witch's theme from the wizard of oz is like genuinely frightening when you listen to it yeah absolutely uh so i mean i, I don't think that we would uh we would hold these games so dear and hold these scores so dear uh if they didn't if they didn't really speak to us in a completely true way. Let's move on to another contender for track of the week. Such a lovable piece of music here. This is the athletic theme from Super Mario Brothers 3. this makes me smile i've listened to this thousands of times and my smile doesn't get any any smaller <laughs> after listening to this it's you know, just it's, adorable it's like a great piece of classical music um you'll notice when whether you're listening to cd or classical radio or going to a concert mm-hmm. that the music does the same thing to you every time yes reliably yes uh it's Surgical. it doesn't seem like it depends on your mood um or or that it could be sort of tipped in any way and i think most popular art that we're used to actually relies a lot on context or your mood mm-hmm. it doesn't at least for me it doesn't seem like it can as reliably conjure that same emotion every time sure uh but koji kondo is swimming in those in those waters uh, he's composing something that is perfect and timeless i mean it's almost like it's by rossini or something it really hits that level of timelessness well said the thing I love about uh, this athletic theme and the uh, the overworld theme that we listened to a few mm-hmm. minutes ago in Mario 3 is what's great is it's like it's almost like he decided that there won't be a primary theme for the game. He's just going to write two. Yeah. And so it, it, it's this a feels really interesting choice because, yeah, I think you could argue either way. But it, it in some ways, it kind of balances the whole score. And it's the last time that he would really take that approach because uh, with Mario World, he started... 
uh, he started an idea that he continued for all the Mario mm-hmm. games following, which is that there would be a primary theme that would be transformed and would go through different iterations. I kind of miss this era of having all these new themes. Right. I mean, w- and we've celebrated that technique uh, before on on the podcast, but I think there is something to be said um, about uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 because even though Koji maybe abandoned that style of composing we're so blessed to have all these wonderful and completely uh, singular pieces of music with mm-hmm. these great melodies that have nothing to do with one another. And this is a piece that remixes so well. <laughs> Anytime you hear someone do this it just it's going to make people smile. Well because there's also so many techniques that bum bum where yeah. it's those notes that are just a half step apart that's almost like evoking this old kind of vaudeville you know musical theater cliche i love like hearing a, the, or like um, a cartoon wink i like, love hearing like the bugs blind, bunny if you guys have ever heard the the blindfolded pianist he's i love anytime he plays oh, this yeah, he plays this really well rendition. all right let's move on to another uh really uh important theme in the game just behind the overall athletic this is the underwater theme let's take a listen You guys listening to the underwater theme from Super Mario Brothers 3. Just a beautiful piece of music and obviously uh, Kochi Kondo has big shoes to fill and they're his own shoes mm-hmm. from the first game. Yeah, this is such a, a, a great piece of music. Uh, yeah. What's so interesting is going from the Mario 1 underwater theme which is that great kind of romantic waltz. I think there's characteristics of that in this piece, kind of that harmonized chromaticism feels very similar um but this being in 4-4 uh it definitely has a different feel when you're playing the game because it doesn't necessarily you don't have that same sense of buoyancy but again much like the overworld these levels are a little bit more spacious you're moving in multiple directions and i still feel like this is composed with the mechanics in mind if you listen to what the bass is doing there's still this feeling of because it's like an ostinato you almost feel it in one so it still kind of accompanies the bouncing oh it's definitely the sister piece to to the original underwater for sure well let's move on to something very different this is a really fun piece of music this is the hammer brothers theme guys listening to the hammer brothers theme i think also the theme that plays when you battle in the multiplayer mode right of mario 3 god this is one of my favorite pieces of music from uh mario 3 uh which then makes it one of my favorite pieces of ever mario music reminds me of a little bit of the dr mario theme yeah yeah very related they're almost sort of uh very close cousins or something um this really captures, I think, what you were talking about, Carl, with sort of like the public impression of what Koji Kondo exactly. is or what Mario is. Uh, 
you have to describe this as plucky fun but it has a little bit of attitude but it's like yep, attitude and like a bluesiness yeah it's like attitude it. in a kid you're babysitting it's like they're not really a threat to you they're they're kind of cute that well, and that blues element is so important to the Mario series. I mean, it, it became sort of, and it is here, it's uh, it's an embodiment of the villain, but a villain who isn't as opposing. I think like in Sunshine or, or some of the later games, you know, like Bowser Jr. Or, or some of the more minor villains will have this blues sound to them. If you think right, of Kamek right. from, uh, from Yoshi's, Yoshi's Island. Yeah. Even up to you know, 3D that, World that has that kind Exactly. Of thing, that you know? bluesy element is super important. And what's great about that, it makes you feel slightly comfortable even with the villains of the game that when you're introduced to Bowser or an even bigger threat and it's scored with 100% intensity, uh, it, it really makes those moments of the game feeling fitting, fittingly epic. Awesome. Well, let's play a one-two punch here. We're going to play something that you would actually experience chronologically in the game. We're going to play the airship theme, followed right by the boss theme. Enjoy. a little bit about that experience in the game seeing the airship and then eventually at the end getting getting to the boss which which we're hearing right now you know marty made a good point the fortress was the first time introducing the timpani kind of introducing us to the tone we might hear uh in a little bit of that dissonance that atonus the atonal quality but man that airship theme we didn't expect mario music was going to get that dark did we no not at all uh and yeah so we're not only hearing the timpani again but like you said carl uh it's a very atonal experience Mm -hmm. um and for me koji kondo is the only composer that i know that can do this sometimes john in a john williams score maybe you'll have this experience like in the first uh, star wars score or something where it's like i think if you were to ask someone it's like did you just listen to an atonal piece of music you think (laughs) no i didn't that was that actually had so much appeal uh and i think he just has this un airing um melodic sense and so uh even in an atonal landscape he is able to forge something that is so memorable i think that's so so appealing well and and then also i'm just such a big fan of the way that this piece the boss theme works after it it feels like we're coming back down to earth like literally because you have the drums coming in again you get that bluesiness uh, it has that element where it's like not as imposing mm-hmm. as the final villain will feel, um, but still more threatening. It's again a good kind of Mobius strip thing. But what's cool about this piece, it feels more soloistic. It's kind of like this is the predecessor to what you get in Mario World and Yoshi's Island, where there's this mm-hmm. kind of crazy, jazzy, 
almost improvised sounding solo right. progressive jazz progressive rock solo happening but what's cool is here it's done in the triangle channel so the instrument that we've been accustomed to you know in all of our 8-bit lives to always being the bass instrument is now above the squares singing the melody it's such a great way I mean, Marty it's you talk so about unique. growing as a producer but finding other timbres and other sounds that um, he can utilize and we're going to hear that one other time well what's cool is is chrono- let's keep going chronologically. This is the next thing you hear as soon as you beat the boss. This is Falling from the Sky. This is, for me, actually one of my favorite tracks in Mario 3. It's so beautiful. It's it's so beautiful. I remember being a kid, I was so moved, almost to the point of tears by this piece, which sure. is kind of silly because it's a Mario game, but it's very short. It's only about five Never seconds. Never say that. Um, yeah. My first tear experience was because of a Mario sure. music moment. I don't so know, maybe it's never just be ashamed maybe it's that. just growing up as a boy, I feel like I suppress so many emotions at that age. Like, oh, I can't cry, I can't cry, but this but is Mr. just... But Mr. Kondo's telling you it's okay. It's okay to cry here. Yeah, this is so, so beautiful. Well, and, and it's, we're really getting a sense of Koji Kondo as this storyteller, and, uh, you know, when you actually look at Mario 3 under a microscope, it's not as though there's a whole lot of narrative, but there's it definitely Just feels enough. like there's more narrative than the, the previous two games. And any small, like, move up when the narrative seems so important. Like, right. Oh, my God, there's so and much story And this is a piece of here. music that, uh, that really uh, kind of functions almost like a cutscene, you could argue. It does, yeah. And uh, it's you just feel like you're in such wonderful cursed, hands. And yeah, it, the cursed it, king. It kind of lets you know... Uh, just how significant this entire game or this entire story is. It's funny how just a little bit of story with beautiful music really propels you to keep going because, you know, you're bringing the the wand back to the king. You're, you know, getting rid of his curse and you move on to the next world and there's another king. And it's, I don't know, it's just... It's, it's, it's a really good tool to, to kind of motivate the player. Well, it's that great thing when you you start to um, anticipate and look forward to the, the cyclical nature of these games. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know what's going to happen. And sometimes right. it gets subverted, but the music is a big part of it. You know, it's like, oh, I For look sure. forward to seeing that cutscene again and hearing that beautiful music after I beat the boss. It's almost like it's your little incentive for victory in each world. Well, this, totally. is, the, this is what it all comes down to here. We finally got to King Koopa. This is the... Final Bowser Battle. about this piece is so different from what we've heard before. The way he's using that DPCM channel, the way he's using the triangle channel in a high register, that feels a little bit uneasy. Like, it feels like, oh no, the NES is like about to like explode or something. Something about this piece is on edge. What's so great about it, I get the feeling uh, this was written first. This was written before the um, 
earlier boss theme because this is like the adult version. The bluesiness <laughs> sure. right. is gone. I mean, it, it feels like sort of progressive rock, but there's mm -hmm. no bluesiness. There's nothing fun about this. This no. is scary. This is serious. And elements of it, like the triangle being the melody, in that it's the same instrument settings for the squares that you have on the earlier boss theme, but you know, you're fighting Bowser's kids. It's less threatening. This is this is intense stuff, and I mean, it's almost like a great film composer, how he teases nuggets of what he's eventually going to reveal later on, but again, just so stunned at how short this loop is and how effective And another thing is. I want to mention is the tempo. So perfect. I just see Bowser jumping around, hitting right. those blocks, and this tempo perfectly scores that. Well, and yeah, Koji Kondo's sense of tempo is... Another, I mean, it's got to sound hyperbolic, I, I know, um, yeah. maybe to a listener that that might not share the exact same sort of depth of love that, that we do for Koji Kondo. Can be hard if they we're, we're really not making this up. There's a reason that we spend so much of our lives listening to Koji Kondo's music and thinking about Koji Kondo. It's that he is just so excellent in so many, in so many areas. Different avenues, yeah. And this is a great example. This is a side of Koji Kondo that does not get discussed very much. So we're always happy to shine a light on that side. All right, so you just beat the final Bowser. This is, this is what you hear. This is the ending from Super Mario Brothers 3. Well, and we have to talk about this ending um, is prefaced by the original Mario 1 ending. Absolutely. With the B section that was added For in lost the levels, Mario, Mario 2, 2 Japanese. So this is a piece of music that the ending of each game, so far, at least in the Japanese perspective, has been growing a little bit. Each iteration. The first game, you just had that one little refrain. The second mm -hmm. game, you got the B section. And now you get this whole other credits piece that happens afterwards. And then he goes into this amazing Latin jam. Let's take a listen to the ending. This is so wonderful. I know this Latin section here. I always hear such um, influence of this, and it will in, in your music. Oh, There's absolutely! So many pieces will um, that you have this kind of fun melodic Latin style that feels like this piece is so influential. I mean, I, I will say Koji Kondo is probably my number one musical influence mm -hmm. in everything that I do, and this piece. I mean, I completely agree, Carl. I mean, this 
type of harmony, particularly in the B section, I think that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. It routinely mm -hmm. to this day makes me sob uncontrollably. It's so beautiful. Yep. It's surgical. Yeah, Koji Kondo is surgical in his like emotional impact. And that's that's the, the, the chord movement, the melody, the way they all work together. That's to me, that's like, it's like the holy grail. I mean, being able to achieve that is something Hands that down. I think yeah. very few are really able to. Yeah. Guys, I just want to thank Marty here for joining us on this amazing adventure. Oh, we, gosh, we covered guys, so much. Guys, this is absolutely my pleasure. Uh, like I said earlier, it really does feel, it, this is almost like Christmas, being able to go through <laughs> these three games. And particularly because, like you were saying, Carl, uh, for whatever reason, we don't think of these as a as a trilogy. Um, yeah. But I, I think we're going to now. Um, definitely the three of us and hopefully those of you oh at gosh. home listening. And... I mean, what can you say? The greatest trilogy of video game music ever composed. It's amazing. Guys, I, I am, I'm going to cry. I mean, <laughs> closing the episode with this amazing, beautiful credits theme, it's like, I'm so glad we get to do this, to, to get to just close off an episode, be able to say goodbye to our listeners you know what? with this underscoring. Listeners, this may be kind of funny, but if we realized that our recorder stopped and this wasn't actually recorded, I wouldn't be sad at all. Because it's just another excuse to sit around and talk about music that we love. Not so, at all. If we had to re-record this episode <laughs> six or seven times, that, that actually it's sounds great to me. It's just a bonus that you guys are also listening to this conversation. We, we absolutely love this uh, these scores. And I, I can, I just want to take another time to say, I, I love Love you too. I'm love you I too. Feel so fortunate to get to do this with my brothers. It, Ditto, oh, man. it means so much. And thank you so much to our wonderful listeners for you know giving us an outlet to talk about the music we love every week. You guys are awesome. We're gonna play you out with the map four theme, Giant Land, which is a great way of just kind of leaving you guys with a spring in your step. We're gonna be back with you uh, next week for the final installment of Nintendo Month. Ooh. We have some wonderful stuff coming up. All right, guys, I think that just well, about does it. Oh, and uh, if by the time that you're listening to this, we will have already played our um, sort of debut concert as the Super Mercado Brothers. So stay a, tuned. Yeah, stay tuned for that footage. Uh, had a had a wonderful time with that. All right, guys, we're gonna let you go. My name is Carl Brueggemann, and I'm his brother Will Brueggemann, and I'm the brother Marty Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out. <laughs>